Welcome to the Banner of Truth magazine podcast, where each week we bring you selected content from the magazine for your encouragement and edification. Our first selection this week comes from the pen of Jonas Layanen. Jonas is church planting minister of Lati Reformed Church in Lati, Finland. This piece first appeared online on the TruthScript website and features in the 725th issue of the Banner of Truth magazine, dated February 2024. The Sodom narrative is found in Genesis 19, with the context being provided at the end of Genesis 18. Usually, Christians' interest in this text in our cultural context will be occupied by the issues of homosexuality. Certainly, this passage is vital to the conversation. Christians are also well aware of the lesson Christ drew from Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt in Luke 17.32. All of this is very important. However, the purpose of this piece is neither of the above. In this article, I want us to focus on Lot the righteous man who was highly spoken of by Peter in 2 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8. In those verses, Peter notes that God, quote, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day by day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, unquote. Although a true believer, Lot was compromised in many ways and reaped the consequences in this narrative. Since many Christians are tempted or even live with the same compromises and environment as Lot, this study will be relevant. We will focus on Lot's compromises in the areas of marriage, familial duty and fatherhood. The bizarre ending of Lot's story will be explained and applied. Finally, we will see how this episode offers gospel hope to Christians who find themselves in a very shameful situation. Compromise in Marrying Throughout salvation history, God made it known that his people should marry only within the faith. Genesis 24, 3 The adverse consequences of being unequally yoked were not merely hypothetical, but were globally and individually realized in the book of Genesis. Genesis 6, 1-7, 26-35. One example of this is Lot and his wife in the Sodom narrative. Apparently, Lot's wife was from Sodom, since there is no indication of Lot having a wife before his separation from Abraham. Genesis 12, 4 and 5, 13, 8-13. The Lord Jesus mentions her as one of those who did not receive everlasting life because she clung to her life here on earth, Luke 17, 32-34. It is safe to say that she was a materialist who loved the things of the world that shall pass away, 1 John 2, 15-17. It does not seem as though her soul was too tormented by what she heard and saw around her. After all, it was Lot, not his wife, who was a stranger in Sodom, Genesis 19, 9. Lot had married an unbeliever, and it cost him spiritually. In many ways, Lot had become lukewarm. When the angels warned Lot 
he was hesitant to leave the city. Only the sovereign faithfulness of God to the covenant of grace ensured his escape. How different would his devotion in Christian duties have been if he had married a woman who feared the Lord? How differently would he have raised his daughters or made other decisions? The single Christian should learn from this account. Do not go against the clear command of only marrying in the Lord. The desire behind this command is not to take away your future. It is to protect you. The saint who is unequally yoked should examine himself if he is experiencing a downward spiral in zeal, commitment, and love for the Lord, partly because of the worldly influence of his spouse. If this is the case, it would be prudent to speak to elders and ask for wisdom. Being unequally yoked does not mean that you are doomed to fail spiritually. It simply makes growth and faithfulness more difficult. Compromise in familial duty Another compromise in the Sodom narrative displays how Lot may have been willing to sacrifice his family for the service of others. Genesis 19.8 In the same event, Lot's actions in this scenario encompass both a notable example and a deplorable failure, as Calvin explains. On one hand, Lot's desire to protect his guests demonstrated a real willingness to act righteously. He boldly ventured outside, closed the door behind him, and confronted the men of Sodom, condemning their malicious intentions. Despite being clearly fearful and distressed, he acted rightly. However, under immense pressure, he acted in a scandalous manner. He offered his own daughters to the men of Sodom. Lot's proposition to the men of the city is astonishing. It is not impossible that he was merely attempting to confuse them, but regardless, his behaviour was wicked in the extreme. Lot's duty was to safeguard both his guests and his children, being willing to sacrifice himself in order to protect them from harm. Thus, in Lot's actions, we witness both the influence of grace and the lingering presence of sin within him. We should pray for grace not to compromise the mental and physical well-being of our children by treating them as second in rank to outsiders. Our children should know that we do not deem them to be expendable in the face of difficult and dangerous situations. We live in a time when parents' hearts are all too often cold towards their children as we witness the awful realities of abortion, abandonment and absence. The righteous lot is an example of how Christians need the grace of God to love our children as we should. Malachi 4.6 Compromise in Fatherhood It is very common that the sin we justify to ourselves is also what we justify and support in others. In the Sodom narrative, it is implied that Lot's daughters were both engaged to godless jesters. Genesis 19.14 it is therefore clear that Lot did not put effort into finding proper spouses for his children, unlike Abraham, Genesis 24.3. What we later learn about Lot's daughters is that they themselves were not believers either. It seems reasonable that Lot did not fulfill his duties as a shepherd of his family. He did not raise his daughters in the fear and admonition of the Lord. This is also consistent with his neglect of them physically. 
As a pastor who works full-time in a secular job, I can sympathize with hard-working men who struggle to lead their families spiritually. Yet, I am not convinced that family worship and personal spiritual discipleship of the children are not doable. Little things can always be done. God's desire is that you would instruct your children and your household so that they would, quote, keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Genesis 18:19. Who else will do this? We cannot afford the natural consequences of neglecting our children's spiritual needs. The Bizarre Fruit of Compromise Devastated by what had happened, Lot found himself living in a cave with his daughters. Genesis 19.30 Here, he reaped the most shameful fruit of his negligence and compromise. The full effect of living in a godless environment, with a godless mother, and without godly discipline and instruction, is seen in Lot's daughters. We are not to overlook their actions as a mere desire for survival. There is nothing to justify the reality that the daughters conspired to sexually abuse their father. Genesis 19.31-35 It is indeed sad how Lot's written story ends in Genesis 19. Devastated, lonely, raped, and now a father to two nations that became enemies of Israel. These were the final fruits of his many compromises that, in themselves and at the beginning, might not have looked too serious. But they were. Gospel Hope Despite all the sin and shame that Lot's compromises produced, the Lord loved him. He was one of those sheep for whom Christ came to lay down his life. Grace did not remove the natural consequences of his actions in this life, but it did guarantee repentance and trust in God. As in the cases of Noah and Elijah, we are to believe that Lot was awakened to new hope and vigilance. From the analogy of Scripture, we can conclude that this saint did not die in a cave with his sins. Perhaps you have reaped the bitter fruits of shame. I want you to know that you are not the first sinner to be in that situation. God inspired Genesis 19, among other things, to remind you of that. Do you trust in Christ? Then you can be sure that He carried your shame. He is preparing a home for you where you are welcomed. You do not deserve His grace and faithfulness, yet your Maker is your husband. Your name may be covered in shame, but the Lord of hosts is his name, and that name is filled with honor and glory. I do pray that you would find hope in that. Our second selection this week comes from John Calvin's commentary on the book of Genesis. In the excerpt which follows, Calvin deals with chapter 19, verses 15 to 21. We trust that his expositions of this passage will help further to highlight the grace and faithfulness of God to Lot, despite his many weaknesses and disobedience. The Banner of Truth first published Calvin's commentary on Genesis in 1965, using the text from the Calvin Translation Society edition of 1847. 
Verse 15. The angels hastened Lot. Having praised the faith and piety of Lot, Moses shows that something human still adhered to him. Because the angels hastened him when he was lingering. The cause of his tardiness might be that he thought he was going into exile. Thus, a multiplicity of cares and fears disturb his anxious mind. For he doubts what would happen to him as a fugitive when, having left his house and furniture naked and in want, he should betake himself to some desert place. In the meantime, he does not consider that he must act like persons shipwrecked, who, in order that they may come safe into port, cast into the sea their cargo and everything they have. He does not indeed doubt that God is speaking the truth, nor does he refuse to remove elsewhere as he is commanded, but, as if sinking under his own infirmity and entangled with many cares, he, who ought to have run forth hastily and without delay, moves with slow and halting pace. In his person, however, the Spirit of God presents to us, as in a mirror, our own tardiness, in order that we, shaking off all sloth, may learn to prepare ourselves for prompt obedience, as soon as the heavenly voice sounds in our ears. Otherwise, in addition to that indolence which, by nature, dwells within us, Satan will interpose many delays. The angels, in order the more effectually to urge Lot forward, infuse the fear, lest he should be destroyed in the iniquity or the punishment of the city, for the word ayon in Hebrew signifies both iniquity and punishment. Not that the Lord rashly casts the innocent on the same heap with the wicked, but because the man who will not consult for his own safety and who, even being warned to beware, yet exposes himself by his sloth to ruin, deserves to perish. Verse 16. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand. The angels first urged him by words, now seizing him by the hand, and indeed with apparent violence, they compel him to depart. His tardiness is truly astonishing, since, though he was certainly persuaded that the angels did not threaten in vain, he could yet be moved by no force of words until he is dragged by their hands out of the city. Christ says, Though the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Matthew twenty-six forty-one. Here a worse fault is pointed out, because the flesh, by its sluggishness, so represses the alacrity of the spirit that, with slow halting, it can scarcely creep along. And, indeed, as every man's own experience bears him witness of this evil, the faithful ought to endeavour, with the greater earnestness, to prepare themselves to follow God, and to beware lest, as with deaf ears, they disregard his threats. And truly, they will never so studiously and forcibly press forward as not still to be retarded more than enough in the discharge of their duty. For what Moses says is worthy of attention, that the Lord was merciful to his servant, when, having laid hold of his hand by the angels, he hurried him out of the city. 
for so it is often necessary for us to be forcibly drawn away from scenes which we do not willingly leave. If riches, or honours, or any other things of that kind prove an obstacle to anyone, to render him less free and disengaged for the service of God, when it happens that he is abridged of his fortune, or reduced to a lower rank, let him know that the Lord has laid hold of his hand, because words and exhortations had not sufficiently profited him. We ought not, therefore, to deem it hard that those diseases, which instruction did not suffice effectually to correct, should be healed by more violent remedies. Moses even seems to point to something greater, namely that the mercy of God strove with the sluggishness of Lot, for, if left to himself, he would, by lingering, have brought down upon his own head the destruction which was already near. Yet the Lord not only pardons him, but, being resolved to save him, seizes him by the hand and draws him away, although making resistance. Verse 17. Escape for thy life. This was added by Moses to teach us that the Lord not only stretches out his hand to us for a moment in order to begin our salvation, but that without leaving his work imperfect, he will carry it on even to the end. It certainly was no common act of grace that the ruin of Sodom was predicted to Lot himself, lest it should crush him unawares. Next, that a certain hope of salvation was given him by the angels, and, finally, that he was led by the hand out of the danger. Yet the Lord, not satisfied with having granted him so many favours, informs him of what was afterwards to be done, and thus proves himself to be the director of his course, till he should arrive at the haven of safety. Lot is forbidden to look behind him, in order that he may know that he is leaving a pestilential habitation. This was done, first, that he might indulge no desire after it, and then that he might the better reflect on the singular kindness of God by which he had escaped hell. Moses had before related how fertile and rich was that plain. Lot is now commanded to depart thence, that he may perceive himself to have been delivered, as out of the midst of a shipwreck. And although, while dwelling in Sodom, his heart was continually vexed, it was still scarcely possible that he should avoid contracting some defilement from a sink of wickedness so profound. Being now, therefore, about to be purified by the Lord, he is deprived of those delights in which he had taken too much pleasure. Let us also hence learn that God best provides for our salvation when he cuts off those superfluities which serve to the pampering of the flesh, and when, for the purpose of correcting excessive self-indulgence, he banishes us from a sweet and pleasant plain to a desert mountain. Verse 18. And Lot said unto them, Here another fault of Lot is censured, because he does not simply obey God, nor suffer himself to be preserved according to his will, but contrives some new method of his own. God assigns him a mountain as his future place of refuge. He rather chooses for himself a city. They are therefore under a mistake 
who so highly extol his faith as to deem this a perfect example of suitable prayer. For the design of Moses is rather to teach that the faith of Lot was not entirely pure and free from all defects. For it is to be held as an axiom that our prayers are faulty so far as they are not founded on the word. Lot, however, not only departs from the word, but preposterously indulges himself in opposition to the word. Such importunity has, certainly, no affinity with faith. Afterwards, a sudden change of mind was the punishment of his foolish cupidity. For thus do all necessarily vacillate who do not submit themselves to God. As soon as they attain one wish, immediately a new disquietude is produced, which compels them to change their opinion. It must then, in short, be maintained that Lot is by no means free from blame in wishing for a city as his residence. For he both sets himself in opposition to the command of God, which it was his duty to obey, and desires to remain among those pleasures from which it was profitable for him to be removed. He, therefore, acts just as a sick person would do, who should decline an operation or a bitter draught which his physician had prescribed. Nevertheless, I do not suppose that the prayer of Lot was altogether destitute of faith. I rather think that though he declined from the right way, he not only did not depart far from it, but was even fully purposed in his mind to keep it. For he always depended upon the word of God, but in one particular he fell from it, by entreating that a place should be given to him which had been denied. Thus, with the pious desires of holy men, some defiled and turbid admixture is often found. I am not, however, ignorant that sometimes they are constrained, by a remarkable impulse of the Spirit, to depart in appearance from the word, yet without really transgressing its limits. But the immoderate carnal affection of Lot betrays itself, in that he is held entangled by those very delights which he ought to have shunned. Moreover, his inconstancy is a proof of his rashness, because he is soon displeased with himself for what he has done. Verse 19. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. Though Lot saw two persons, he yet directs his discourse to one. Whence we infer that he did not rely upon the angels, because he was well convinced that they had no authority of their own, and that his salvation was not placed in their hands. He uses, therefore, their presence in no other way than as a mirror, in which the face of God may be contemplated. Besides, Lot commemorates the kindness of God, not so much for the sake of testifying his gratitude, as of acquiring thence greater confidence in asking for more. For since the goodness of God is neither exhausted nor wearied by bestowing, the more ready we find him to give, the more confident does it become us to be in hoping for what is good. And this truly is the property of faith, to take encouragement for the future from the experience of past favour. And Lot does not err on this point, but he acts rashly in going beyond the word for the sake of self-gratification. Therefore I have said that his prayer, 
Though it flowed from the fountain of faith, yet drew something turbid from the mire of carnal affection. Let us then, relying upon the mercy of God, not hesitate to expect all things from him, especially those which he himself has promised and which he permits us to choose. I cannot escape to the mountain. He does not indeed rage against God with determined malice, as the wicked are wont to do, yet because he rests not upon the word of God, he slides and almost falls away. For why does he fear destruction in the mountain, where he was to be protected by the hand of God, and yet expect to find a safe abode in that place, which is both near to Sodom and obnoxious to similar vengeance, on account of its impure and wicked inhabitants. But this verily is the nature of men, that they choose to seek their safety in hell itself rather than in heaven, whenever they follow their own reason. We see then how greatly Lot errs in fleeing from and entertaining suspicions of a mountain infected with no contagion of iniquity and choosing a city which, overflowing with crimes, could not but be hateful to God. He pretends that it is a little one, in order that he may the more easily obtain his request, as if he had said that he only wanted a corner where he might be safely sheltered. This would have been right if he had not declined the asylum divinely granted to him, and rashly contrived another for himself. Verse 21. See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also. Some ignorantly argue from this expression that Lot's prayer was pleasing to God because he assented to his request and gave him what he sought. For it is no new thing for the Lord sometimes to grant as an indulgence what he nevertheless does not approve. And he now indulges Lot, but in such a way that he soon afterwards corrects his folly. Meanwhile, however, since God so kindly and gently bears with the evil wishes of his own people, what will he not do for us if our prayers are regulated according to the pure direction of his spirit and are drawn from his word? But after the angel has granted him his wish respecting the place, he again reproves his indolence by exhorting him to make haste. Thank you for listening to the Banner of Truth magazine podcast. To subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats, or both, see the show notes or visit banneroftruth.org.